Footballers Barking right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. They've got wall-to-wall Premier League football, with games being played nearly every day. And with Bet365's Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, numbers of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. If you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online betting sport company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the athletic podcast all about Everton Football Club. I'm Greg O'Keefe, and as ever, I'm joined by my colleague and fellow Everton writer for The Athletic, Paddy Boyland, and I hope he is not in as arduous a sweatbox as he was last week. In fact, <laughs> I've heard a little rumour that the big man is back in town. Is that right? Can you confirm you're back in the city centre, Pad? I am f- I am firmly back in the city centre, and <laughs> it's not quite the same level of, of heat or humidity, so I'm, I'm, I'm much happier. I'm a much happier person today, I think, and hopefully that will reflecting our, our podcast chat but I, I guess the other reason why I'm happier is because obviously Everton have, have done the business this week they, they yeah. pulled out a, a 2-1 win quite a tense 2-1 win in the end over mm. over Leicester City on Wednesday evening so that makes it what seven points from the first nine available I, I consider that a, a job pretty well done as far as the, the, the start of the season's concerned so I think we're, we're okay here we do a bit of um Kind of positivity and a bit of optimism, aren't we? We certainly are. Um, so, Julie, on this week's episode, we will reflect on that big win over Leicester in midweek. We will assess some of the standout performances. Uh, and we'll also talk about the new stadium developments and Carlo's comments about challenging for a Premier League title soon. First of all, let's get cracking. We, we'll talk about one of the performers, particularly on Wednesday night at Goodison Park, where you were there, Pat. And that was someone that um, we've written a fair bit about on The Athletic. You've done, I know you've done some really good pieces about. And it's young Anthony Gordon. For me, that felt like an assist, obviously. But away from that overall, it felt like his kind of arrival performance for me. Yeah, a very mature and really, really sort of uh, positive, encouraging display from the young winger. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair, actually. You, you look at his appearances so far and let's take away the, the, the one in Limassol where... Um, I think he was 16 and he came on, didn't he, with his uh, next boxing short showing and um, <laughs> his, his hair all over the place as a, as a 16-year-old. And um, he did quite well on that occasion, but it was a, it was a complete one-off and obviously a, a real shadow Everton 11. They, they were already out, I should say, that the fate had already been sealed for, 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 the, for the Europa League. So taking that out of the picture and looking at this season he's obviously had sporadic minutes here or there and the first start came in the in the Merseyside derby recently just after after the restart in the games he's played and in this period he's been tasked with I think quite defensive roles you you look at the one in the Merseyside derby and I always envisage Anthony Gordon from what I've seen with with England youth sides and with with Everton um, and Everton youth sides, I've always seen him on the front foot, looking to create, looking to attack and, and drive at players with, with the pace we know he has. But actually, mm. what, we, what we've seen from, from Ancelotti in particular, he's, he's trusted Anthony Gordon with um, a lot of defensive responsibility. Look at the role in the Merseyside derby as his first Premier League star for Everton. He effectively he comes inside to make it a, a very narrow midfield four. 
But the job, as soon as the ball goes out and it's switched out to Alexander-Arnold's side, is to shuttle across and block those kind of penetrating runs. So that's a show of faith, and it shows that Gordon, who, who's not always done that side of the game particularly well, um, is, is starting to come of age in terms of his responsibility within a professional side, let's just call it that. But you're right, this felt like a notable step up. And one of the things for me was that I was looking at his, as I was writing the piece last night on the game, I was looking at the amount of touches he had against Liverpool. He had 18 touches against Liverpool in what, about how long was he on the pitch? 60, 65 minutes. Yeah. Against Leicester, he was on the pitch for a little bit longer, but he had more than twice as many touches. So it shows that Everton, while they did sit deep against Leicester at times, they provided much more serve, service to Gordon and the rest of the the, um, the front three or four and gave him better conditions in which to flourish. And these are the kinds of performances that I was seeing when I saw him for England age group sides and Everton age group sides. He was mm. positive, vibrant, creative. I know we will all talk about the, the goal that he created, um, a lovely bit of, of play down the left-hand side with Luca Dean and Mason Holgate. Great cross on his weaker foot, it must be said, yeah. for, yeah. for Richarlison to kind of thump home. But what I really liked was the lofted ball to Calvert-Lewin about probably five to ten minutes later in the game. And I was looking at that and thinking, how many Everton players in this squad play that pass? Maybe Alex Awobi, maybe Gilfie Sigurdsson from time to time. And we know Luca Dean's got good delivery and has good pass through the ball, but I don't think many players in that Everton team make that pass with regularity. And if that's something Gordon can do, if he can create goals, he can score goals and he can use his pace to drive at the opposition, he's going to give Everton a different outlet and something they've not not had for quite a while. And while the options on paper appear quite strong in that part of the pitch, you could play Bernard, Iwobi, even Gilfie Sigurdsson at a push on the left if you wanted to. And that's probably Gordon's best position in a 4-4-2 as well. Mm. It, it seems like he, could, he would be able to carve a niche there. He would be able to kind of create a role for himself um, because Everton are crying out for goals and they're crying out for creativity and assists. So it it wasn't a faultless performance. And I said that in my match piece, that there, were, there were things that um, I picked up on that maybe didn't quite go right for him. There were bits of kind of concentration issues here or there. Mason Holgate gave him a good bollocking on one occasion um, <laughs> for, for remonstrating with a fi- an official instead of um, looking for his opposite number. But it was a great night's work and um, an indicator of just how talented Anthony Gordon is. So I, I was delighted. I, I came away absolutely delighted. Not only had Everton won, but uh, a homegrown, talented, flourished. It, it, it's always nice to see that, isn't it? It really is. Um, I do I do encourage you to read the piece Paddy did about Gordon and the previous features we've written about him. And to do that, you can sign up to Athletic and enjoy a 30-day free trial at the moment. Um, see what all the fuss is about. Enjoy the best football writing and ad-free podcasts right up until the end of the Premier League season. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. Another piece we've done this week uh, focused on the stadium really off the pitch. Um, and the split with Dan Mice, the architect of the the vision for for Bramley Moor Stadium. Um, obviously, it sort of started with some tweets from Dan, didn't it? You know, last uh, this week, rather losing track of time here. Uh, no, it was last week. It was before the kickoff of the uh, of the Norwich game. So Dan, obviously, as uh, is no longer involved, and um, there was a story behind that which we endeavoured to tell in our piece. 
first of all, Pad, it's it's just on a human level, it's a shame, isn't it? Because this is a guy that not only created some pretty stunning visuals with Bramley Moore, he also really engaged with the fans and, and became an Evertonian in the process, didn't he? Yeah, I think that, that's that's fair enough. And that's, I think, what Everton fans want more than anything else, even if, if people aren't necessarily supporters or haven't necessarily bought into the club already when they when they arrive. I think they want to see that buy-in from the point at which they are on board. And we saw that fully with Dan Mice. I think he went in 100% on this Everton project. And not only that, but I, I think he's also delivered, if you look at the... That the images he's delivered a very kind of aesthetically pleasing stadium for for us all hopefully to to get get to in in three or four years time. So I think there is some disappointment. There's certainly some disappointment out there with regards to how this has ended, um, and that that's among the fan base. Mice has got his own disappointment as as, as has been made abundantly clear on social media with how things have been handled. I do think the background is really important though, um, and that is a piece if people are listening but aren't subscribers or want to kind of enjoy the free trials we've got going on that is a piece I recommend all Evertonians kind of take a look at because I think that explains in kind of pretty granular detail what happened and what the repercussions are now for the the stadium project moving forward so I think from my point of view we reported on this as it happened on Wednesday scrambling to get mm. something on the on the site on the live blog before the uh, for the Norwich game and I guess the, the headline details were, and people will be well aware of this now, headline details were as follows. Mice is no longer working on the stadium project. He's not currently engaged in it. That's not to say that he couldn't, in theory, come back at some point, but he's not being handed a new contract to take him through to the technical phase of the scheme as it's known. He was, I think we explained this last week, he was the concept architect. He was the guy that was meant to to draw the plans and, and to make sure everything yeah, the was perfect creative. there. Yeah. The, yeah, the creative the creative vision, really, the visionary behind all of this. And he's done that, as we as we as I think we'd all acknowledge, very, very well. Mm. But this is a different phase that Everton are enter, entering into. It's about adhering to UK regulations. It's about working with the constructors, Lango Rourke, whose name you'll all know by now. It's about making sure that things are absolutely faultless with regards to um, the plans for when potential investors, and Everton are speaking to investors um, and backers, um, speaking to them to making sure everything's tip-top and in shape. And I just think that obviously he's, he's gone in for, for, the, um, for the new contract and um, lost out to uh, the UK firm Patton, who, who we've, we've reported on a few times now. Patton's back catalogue and pa- Patton's current list of engagements is, is quite impressive if you go onto the website. They do check it out. They, they're working, I think it's on two Qatar World Cup projects. They helped with the Etihad expansion, uh, the recent Etihad expansion. And I think more than anything, one of the things that is really drilled home when you go on their site, it's the extent to which they talk up their relationship with kind of heritage bodies the the work they've did in um in kind of preserving heritage um institutions and and um, functions and we know how important anybody that reads the site will know how important that is because uh, Bramley Moore has got a very specific list of um what grade grade listed buildings and structures in some cases that need to be preserved and in some cases redeveloped as part of this scheme so passing are going to be important 
it's also important that constructors and investors are on on board fully with what's taking place. But I mean, you 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 took the lead on the piece. You very much took the lead on on the piece on this on the site, the explainer about mice, Greg. So, I just wonder from your point of view, kind of what were the key details here for for somebody that maybe hasn't read it and who kind of wants a, a brief pricey of of kind of what went on and and what the main reasons are for mice's departure. I think as you you know you've alluded to there, it was a case of his contract. Um, always hitting a point at which it had to be renewed in order to be the sort of technical um, architect. And he would have always known, from what we understand, speaking to people in and around the club, he would have always known that was going to be the case and he would have to pitch, not to Everton, but as you say, to Lango Rourke. And in the end, Lango Rourke are incentivised to deliver the stadium on time and to cost. And so they've obviously taken a decision, the pattern or best placed to do that. The key bit, I think, is the, is, is the sort of debate over whether he was fully offered a role to remain with the stadium project and the guardianship. Um, Everton insist, you know, sort of, um, or people connected to the club, rather, I don't think this is an official club position, but we've learned that, you know, that was on the table in some capacity. But again, I think Myers' camp dispute that. So that's up in the air. I'd like to think at some point down the line he might um, have further input. You know, once the dust has settled, once his own pride, if you like, has uh, as sort of uh, healed fr- from this parting of the ways, hmm. that down the line he might return to the stadium project. And I certainly think that it would be a crying shame, as one person said in the comments underneath the piece, if, if he's not, you know, a key figure uh, at the first game at the new stadium. Because I remember the the um, you and I were both there. I think at the Titanic Hotel last summer when it, the plans were unveiled and the uh, round of applause he got as mm. ovation, actually, standing ovation um, on that sunny afternoon down not far from where the stadium is going to be. It would be a shame if, if there were some lingering sort of rancour from that. I, I certainly hope not. You did uh, use a phrase when we were chatting earlier about the aesthetic delight or the aesthetic kind of pleasingly aesthetic of the stadium but on something else which looks quite sharp and we like the look of I think is the new Everton kit for the forthcoming 2020-21 season the Hummel kit um, you'll have all seen that well hopefully you'll have seen that this morning Everton have, have uh, unveiled the images and uh, fair to say two highly regarded fashionistas like me and you Pad have uh, <laughs> More than a bit of tongue in cheek there on my behalf, anyway. Yeah, um, for me as well. Yeah, we, we like it, don't we? I think it's quite, quite classic, quite clean, and looks the part. Yeah, I think they've been the the buzzwords in in press releases and and other kind mm. of dialogue we've had with um, with people on various sides of the table here. Clean, minimalist, classic, and it is. It's kind of it's kind of stripped down. You've got all the elements you would expect to see in a in a Hummel kit. We, we all know now about the chevrons that will be, yeah. I don't even know what, what, what you've described, their place on the kit. Is the, would you say the piping of the kit? Yeah, um, would, wouldn't you? Like where, sort of where, <laughs> yeah, where Adidas would normally have like something or maybe thinking back to the Umbro kits of the 70s. Yeah, but I, I, I usually go with gut instinct here rather than anything else. And yeah. the, the first time I saw it, I thought that's the best Everton kit I've seen, the best Everton home kit. I've seen in a good while. Um, and I don't think you need to reinvent the wheel with Everton Kitch. You, you put the badge on the front, you, you get a sponsor that isn't too, I think, o- OTT. And in this case, Kazoo's been done in white, as we suggested a few yeah. a few weeks ago. Um, not the, the orangey red 
<laughs> that uh, some people were worried about um, and almost certainly would have clashed um, with, with parts of the kit. Um, Kazoo's in white. Um, it's classic and minimalist, as we say. Um, and there's some nice features as well. I mean, they've they, they've conducted a lot of research and, and we'll have more of, on this on the site. But um, there's a lot of market research carried out. Not only have they been to Goodison, they've heard Zeg cars, they've been to Everton games, albeit away from home. Um, and they've had tours and, and stuff of, of club facilities. But they've also read Everton books. They've read big Everton books. I mean, I, I spoke to somebody from Hummel for a piece that will be on the site on Friday. And he said, he, he name-checked James Corbett's Faith of Our Families, which is a fantastic book, by the way, um, yeah. if, if nobody's read it. And they've, they've kind of fully bought in to this Everton project. They, they seem like they get the club, and there's a lovely nod on the kit um, for those that have seen it already. Lovely nod on the kit and uh, something that resonated with me. There's this, this sound wave, they're calling it, in, in relation to uh, Zcars. That, that, yeah. was the, that was the one thing that, as it was explained to me, they were in, and, and you actually, for that matter, a few months ago, when we were writing the initial Hummel piece, they were they were wooed by Graham Sharp and a few others at Goodison, an empty Goodison, and Sharpie turned Zcars on full blast for them, these hmm. Hummel execs. And they, they really enjoyed that because they... Being Scandinavian and growing up in a, in a country that, I don't know, if it feels like it's always been connected to Premier League football and, and even further back English football. They've always paid the close attention. And Sharp, as part of those successful Everton sides of the 80s, was obviously um, somebody that people looked up, up to, not just here, but over there. So I think that was quite a big deal for them. And Zeg cars clearly struck a chord. And now... The sound wave from Zed Cars is on is on the shirt in in, in, in some capacity. So, I, I think it's I think it's a job well done. They've not reinvented the wheel, but I probably wouldn't have wanted them to do that. Um, and I look forward to seeing that rolled out in full, in time for for next season. I think the only thing we have to remember is that it will be Umbro um, and Sport Pessa until the end of um, this season. Angry Birds as well before <laughs> we'll see an entirely new slate. Of, of sponsors and partners next time around. New Kazoo, new main partner, Hummel, new kit manufacturer, and a new, still to be confirmed, sleeve sponsor as well, we think. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of all changed, but I think probably in terms of, certainly in terms of the look of the kit, change for the better, in my opinion. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you on that. Um, not quite so new in terms of the ma- manager. He's, we've had him, for, <laughs> still feels surreal occasionally when, when you... You need to dwell upon it, but we've had Carlo in situations since uh, since December now. But not to say that he didn't have an impact before football's lock pause, because he obviously did. But it feels from the restart, you know, as you said earlier, seven points from three, potentially quite tricky fixtures. It feels like he's having a greater impact now. Uh, it just feels like that we're we're getting points from games that we possibly wouldn't under previous managers. I don't just mean that as a digger. Marco Silva, I mean, managers going back to potentially the end of Roberto Martinez, um, certainly Koeman, certainly uh, Aldice and, and beyond. Um, so it's just that he has this knack of, of being very cool under pressure and making the requisite kind of tactical switches in real time. You know, not always reactively, they can sort of sense what's coming. All of his experience feels like that's on display at the moment. And for me, it's really encouraging. I, I know. We'd spoken in the last podcast about how he changed shape in the 
in the derby. And he did it against uh, again against Leicester, didn't he? When you know that game was really threatening to get away. You you were there. What was your your take on that? Harry sponsors Glad Tidings, a podcast brought to you by the Athletic. As a listener of this podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for three pound ninety five. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash glad tidings right now. That's harrys.com forward slash glad tidings. Hard enough to get your Harry's out in order to uh, get yourself a shave for the next time we get to Goodison. You know, we, these lockdown beards can't uh, can't be gracing the press room next time we get in there. <laughs> I was thinking, who's the character in The Hangover with the really long beard? <laughs> uh, basically, Alan. I'm going to... I'm going to come out, Alan. I'm going to come out of lockdown looking like Alan. Yeah. Um, oh, God, and I, I, I say that t- tongue in cheek because actually, I'm, as I mentioned on last week's show, I'm not particularly great at, at growing a beard. But um, yeah, it, it 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 feels like a long time since we've been to Goodison in any in any case, and, and maybe that's about to change. Yeah, I, I think it was it was a game that threatened to spiral out of control for Everton. Obviously headed in at the break with a with a 2-0 lead and I thought a, a merited 2-0 lead at the break that they, they were good value for for that um for that advantage and had played some really nice stuff particularly with these kind of diagonals that were being played to Gordon and, and Luca Dean but also in other parts of the pitch too Calvert-Lewin causing problems up front Richarlison buzzing about so they they played a very good first half in typical Everton fashion it can never be that easy can it and I mean the the goal <laughs> The goal that Leicester scored, I don't think that's a one in a hundred attempt, is it? Mason Holgate goes to clear the ball and it manages to hit Kelechi Iheanacho <laughs> square on the face and end up in the back of the net. Um, these these yeah. things, I, I mean, it, it's maybe just the, the Evertonian fatalism, but these things only seem to happen to Everton Football Club um, in, in some regard. And then to compound matters, not only were Leicester... Um, well, not only had Leicester half the deficit, but um, the, the very talented central midfielder Wilfred and Diddy decided to crock, um, inadvertently or not, our one of our best players in, in Richarlison with, with a quite quite nasty tackle. Really, um, all things considered, I thought a yellow was the least he deserved there, and another referee might have chosen to be even harsher in the in the punishment there, but. I think that was that was a double whammy for Everton, and they did really teeter. They did. They wobbled and they wobbled, and Leicester missed a few chances. And there was some resolute defending as well. I, th- I thought Michael Keane, in particular at the back, actually, um, and, and even Seamus Coleman as well, and Luca Dean, I think they all played well from a defensive standing. Holgate good in, in places too, but maybe not to the extent he has been. And obviously a few errors from from Jordan Pickford, who had otherwise made a really good save from Johnny Evans in in the first half, so it felt like something needed to change. It felt like maybe Everton managers in the past maybe wouldn't have been that proactive, and I don't mean proactive in terms of making positive attacking substitutions, but I just mean in influencing the course of the game. And it's not the first time we've seen Carlo Ancelotti's tactical nous. It won't be the last time either. We've long bemoaned, I think, as Evertonians. Certainly, since Gareth Barry left the club, a lack of perceived game management. Yes. I.e., when Everton are ahead, yeah. just being able to drop the tempo of play, to pick passes, to keep hold of the ball, win fouls, and alleviate pressure. It feels like Everton have not done that side of things very well for an awfully long time. But if you look at Norwich and when they went ahead against Norwich, 
they didn't really look like surrendering that lead. You look at the latter stages against Liverpool, if anything, Everton would decide that we're going to go on and win that game in the end. And um, the, the, the chances and the expected goals and stuff back that up. And again against Leicester on Wednesday night, the substitutions, while not proactive in the sense of bringing on attacking players, did stabilise. Now, I think Tom Davis came in for quite a lot of criticism after the game against Norwich. Thought he played a role. Um, I thought he in, played really well. Yeah. So 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 do I. And we we speak about keeping hold of the ball and and, and alleviating pressure. I think he did that very very well at times um, against a good Leicester midfield. It must be said. Tom's challenge, as it always has been, is consistency and doing mm. it with regularity. And he obviously was pretty good in the derby. Not so great at all against Norwich, it has to be said. Loses his place, but that was a good cameo. So he needs to do it from the start again and more consistently. Yerry Mina comes on at centre-back. Change in system, I think. And um, it's kind of like a 5-3-1-1 with Calvert-Lewin plowing alone for her and being complete, completely isolated, but also doing a very good job um, given the constraints and the limitations. Anthony Gordon and then after he was substituted, Bernard just behind. And Everton did get better and while they held on, I think I think they navigated the final part of the game better than they navigated kind of 50 to 75, in my opinion. Um, and, and did so because of astute substitutions from Carlo Ancelotti. It is, it's interesting. I, I, I guess I'd like your thoughts on this as well, mate. It's really interesting because I was speaking to somebody about this after the game and the point I raised was we've all got such faith in, in Carlo Ancelotti and that's not just us as Evertonians. It's not just me and you as journalists, but it's also um, players and coaching staff at, at, at the club. Everybody speaks fondly on and on and off the record about about what Carlo's doing and how tall he makes them feel. If that had been a packed out Goodison and the manager making those substitutions had been Sam Allardyce, and I'm not doing Carlo a disservice here, I'm just saying let's play devil's advocate. There wouldn't have been the same level of goodwill. He wouldn't have been, Allardyce wouldn't have been praised as a tactical genius. And In fairness, he's not. Um, And I think Goodison would have got really edgy. So first point, we let Carlo get away in quotation marks with a bit more, and rightly so because he's got a proven track record. I.e., we've got not complete and unwavering trust in him because that would be intellectually void as a position. But we we've got trust in, in the guy, and we we think he's going to get it right. So that counts for him. We give him more time. But second, I actually think not playing in front of Goodison last night might have been an advantage, and we don't know. We don't know how things would have turned out in this weird parallel universe. And in which COVID hadn't been around, and um, the game was being played in front of 40,000. But Goodison would have been really edgy, and sometimes that permeates out onto the pitch, and players mm. start to get edgy and make bad decisions. But while Everton wavered, they didn't fall over the edge at any point, and there were some strong performances, like, like we said, Michael Keane, outstanding, man of the match again, um, and that, that's Everton's award of man of the match, not mine necessarily, but I'd, I'd probably go with him as well. I'm really glad um, that this performance followed a piece I wrote for the site on Monday where I kind of talked up what Michael Keane had done over lockdown and the improvements he's made in his game because if Everton had gone and conceded three, I'd have looked a little bit, a little bit less serious. <laughs> so, um, so that was good to see Michael Keane doing well. Um, but there's some other good performances there and I think more than anything, it keeps the hopes of Europe alive. 
it shows Evertonians that they're lucky to have a manager like Carlo Ancelotti who can influence games positively. And there are certain players in form now. So Europe is within Everton's sight. They're not favourites, but it's within sight. And I think that's all we could have asked for upon the resumption of, of the season, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I know what you mean, Pat. Just just the point about Goodison is a salient one. I, it's not like it's not an easy one to kind of articulate in a way, but I did say it was something that people talk about on Twitter as well. And it's true that that the atmosphere would have been extremely edgy at Goodison, um, Ancelotti or not, when Leicester were on the rise. And, you know, the, the way it can be described as the best place to play in as a, as a home player. And sometimes, although I'm sure no players would say it on the record, but I believe that it, that it is something that they, is a sentiment from some past players and probably some current. It can be really difficult to play there when things aren't going your way. And it does have an impact. Now, without the fans, Everton were able, and thanks largely, it has to be said, to the tactical switch and the players who were involved, they're able to navigate that period. But I think it's definitely fair comment that it would have been much harder to do that with a Pat Goodison, which we were getting really nervy about losing that game. And I, I take your points well about the changes. But all I would say is Everton players have to be able to cope with that. They have to be mentally strong enough to block out that crowd noise, to block out that... The, and easier said than done, I know, but that's that's why the professional footballers and Ancelotti will have to find ways of of crossing that barrier too. Um, in the meantime, it, it, yeah, I think it's probably good for players like Tom Davies. He came on yesterday, had a really good game, kept the ball, did a few good things. These sort of displays, I don't think it's any coincidence that there's no fans there. You know, certainly how Anthony Gordon was able to play, although... Perversely, he'd probably have a lot of like support, whatever he was doing at the moment. Um, it's definitely an issue. Ultimately, it's, of course, infinitely better to have a pack with us in park. Uh, and we all want to be there. But it does make you think, and you know, you've got to be honest with yourselves as, as well, with ourselves as Evertonians and as journalists and fans and everything in between. Sometimes it can be a hindrance and uh, maybe we should think about that. I know Klopp, I don't like to, to mention the other, the other lot, but I know Klopp, a few times in his first couple of seasons at, at Liverpool, sort of called out the Anfield crowd. There was one game where they left early and, and he had a public go at them. Uh, he said, we need you behind us. And I, I wonder if at some point an Everton manager is going to have to somehow address the the tendency to get on players' backs. It's a difficult one. I don't know if you think that's like almost a sacrosanct for an Everton manager, but certainly if anyone can do it, Someone like Carlo Ancelotti with his experience and CV might need to at some point. Yeah, I, I agree. If, if anyone can get away with it, it's probably Carlo <laughs> Ancelotti in, the, in this current guise. It's just so, it's so difficult to talk about these issues, isn't it? Because I think you end up getting the argument, the nuance of the argument end up getting missed. And it becomes, oh, Goodison's a bad place to play football or Goodison's an amazing place to play football when we all know the reality is somewhere in the middle. And if... You've got 40,000 Everton fans cheering you on and willing you on. There are very few better places to play football as a home player. But because of the close dimensions, I know players past and present talk about how if, if they're getting abuse, they can hear every single word. Um, and the, the crowd are kind of on top of you and it makes it, I suppose the word is probably claustrophobic in the feel and in the atmosphere. So... There is that nuance there, and hopefully that that position doesn't get lost. Like, like you say, if anyone can get away with it, um, saying something along those lines, it, it's probably Carlo. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but we, we we have to say that Everton seem good behind closed doors. Everton are doing well behind do. closed doors, and it's it, um, it, it's playing to their strengths at the moment. It means that they're able to sit a little bit deeper against sides that could potentially hurt them in behind. Um, it'd be criminal to push up the pitch and play a high line when you've got Michael Keane against Jamie Vardy. It would have been criminal to do that in the Merseyside derby against Sadio Mane and others. Um, Ancelotti's not going to do that. Ancelotti's going to play his own way and he's going to play the way that gets points or is likely to get Everton points. And he's taken seven from nine. So he's done it in a variety of different ways and um, Everton are reaping the benefits. This is what happens when you appoint a top quality manager. It's as simple as that really, isn't it? Yeah, it's no coincidence. Well, before we wrap up, we should mention Everton have made the first signing of the window, albeit a 19-year-old um, who, you know, to all intents and purposes, is going to go more into the under-23 setup. Nevertheless, quite an exciting signing, I think, in some ways. So, like a left-sided defender from Olympique Marseille. Um, Pad, feel free to correct my pronunciation. It's Niels <laughs> Nkunku. Nkunku? Nkunku, yeah, I think that'd be all right. I think I think you're fine there. And to be honest, looking at it, it's one of those where I'm kind of like, bit difficult, bit difficult we'll to let, pronounce. We'll let him tell tell the media and the uh, probably the club website when he when he's in in town. He's going to be called something completely different by yeah half of half of Goodison anyway. I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I I remember being sat in the lower Gladys Street and a little bit of a tangent, but I remember being sat in the lower Gladys Street once and hearing. Somebody calling Julian Lescott, who'd been at the club for years and years, Julian throughout the game. So <laughs> <laughs> he's going to get called whatever anyway, isn't he? So he, he yeah. can tell us all he likes. Um, we all know what what's going to happen. What's making the signing? Um, it's a kind of signing that I like to see Everton make. Really, um, first of all, and maybe this contradicts my position as a journalist, but it's gone under the radar. Kind of minimal fuss. Um, reports. And yeah, I'm pretty certain about this. Reports of kind of widespread interest in him because he had turned down a new deal at Marseille, uh, despite the fact they wanted to keep him and was interested in clubs across Europe, both here and abroad. Um, free transfer fits in with the current kind of financial landscape. That doesn't mean Everton can't spend money, but they need to do savvy business. So this makes sense. Um, they've got a good recruitment team in, in France, Everton, and they they look and they scour the market, particularly for, for young, promising players. Um, and this guy's been on the radar now for, for, for some time, we're led to believe. So Brands has praised his, his, his good technical and physical skills. He is, he's, a, he's a big unit, and he, I think he's going to be an imposing presence at left-back. And yet you're right in saying the, the early indications are that he might play the bulk of his games early next season for the under-23s while probably training in the manner similar to what, kind of, for example, Dennis Adenirin and, and Lewis Gibson have done this season. I don't think he made a competitive start for Marseille. Um, so that shows that he's still got some development to go. Um, but he's, he's, he's a player with a lot of potential and somebody that brands and, and others, kind of recruitment experts in France, have run the rule over and decided is, is worth a punt. So, I mean, a free transfer with loads of upside. I, I think this is the kind of deal that we'll see more of and that we should see Everton do more yes. of given yeah. the um, given the climate. Mm. Well, we'll see uh, when he does indeed turn out for the first team, but I'm sure it'll be interesting to see what he does for Unzi's 23s as well and assess how he might fit in down the line. Well, thanks as always, Paddy. Um, and of course, thank you to you for listening. Please do remember to hit subscribe so you'll never miss a show. And uh, leave us a review if you're feeling particularly generous. Um, We'll see you again next week 
Of course, in between that, we've got uh, another game against Tottenham, another difficult fixture, but one in which we could really see our hopes of European football start taking place. Thank you very much. Thank you.